0: Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity at Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You've got to copy of the word. Open up to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. I'm going to read just a handful of verses, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, in your hearing. Probably a very familiar passage to you, a very famous passage for certain. Today we're going to see what the Lord might teach us as we walk through it together. This series that we're in currently for the summer is entitled TNT, Surviving the Blast. And what I'm trying to do is hoping to give you some encouragement for those moments when life just goes haywire. When everything goes south, when it begins to rain and pour into your life, man, we can look into the Word and and find some encouragement for those moments. We've learned about tests and trials. That's what TNT stands for, tests and trials. We've learned a few things, and overall, we must remember them each time as we come to this. We remember that they're promised to us. Trials and tests are not something that we might encounter along the way. Trials and tests are things that we're certain to encounter along the way. We've learned also that they're prolific. It's not that we're just going to face one big life test. It's almost that life in and of itself is a test. And everywhere we look and on every hand's turn, we face these tests and these trials. We've learned that they're pointed. From James, we learned that they're trials of our faith. It's our faith that's involved in these things. Not so that, uh, that God might believe we have faith, but that our faith might be strengthened and undergirded and, and built up and furthered. The trials of our faith. If the enemy can get us to begin to doubt the, the Father whom we love and serve. He has us right where He wants us. Fourthly, we've learned that trials are purposeful. And this has been the springboard of this series. And now God does not cause them all. But beloved, He surely uses them all for a reason. To produce in our lives a a certain result. To get us to a certain place. It helps to know that there's something ahead. It helps to know that there's a purpose in what I'm encountering and why things are happening in my life. I wrote this down. I want you to remember that no test or no trial is wasted time in the life of one of his children. So, Pastor, what are some of these reasons? What are some of these results? Well, I've told you what I'm not going to do, and that is I'm not going to try to explain every eventuality in your life and everything that's going on to the nth degree because I just do not possess the wisdom and the understanding to do that. But what we are trying to do is look into the Word of God, glean from it some of the things it teaches us, That God uses purposefully these testings and trials in our lives. We've seen already, number one, that God uses trials and tests to direct us to that place of ministry. God uses trials and tests in our life to direct us to that place He has for us to go. Our divine destiny, if you will. He uses pressure to direct us every day, every circumstance to to move us one direction or the other. We learn from the life of Joseph, he said in that monumental statement to his brother. Brothers, what you meant for evil what you thought for evil against me god meant it for good he had it in his mind to, to save my life and to save your life and yea, to save the lives of countless many through the things that occurred in my life and we learn that god uses these trials and tests to direct us to a place, a place of His divine appointment. Secondly, and today, we're going to look a little bit into the life of, of the great apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, and we're going to maybe uh, entertain this statement for a few moments. God also uses trials and tests, and I put it this way, to make us depend upon His grace. One of the purposes of trials and tests in your life is to make you come to a place to utterly depend upon the grace of an almighty God. Let's read this text together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. Here's Paul. He says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that I have received, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh." the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. And he says again, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Three times I asked the Lord that it might depart from me. And verse 9, here's our, our focus for today. And he said unto me, the Lord said unto me, Son, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect, In weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10 Therefore, I take pleasure, what a statement, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. Now, here's a key for Christ's sake, when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. I have learned in my life. There are some dangerous statements that you can make. I've learned in my life that some things you say are just fraught with peril from the time they begin to roll across your lips. Maybe what I should say is you need to learn to be careful what you say today. I, I compiled a little list for you quickly in way of introduction of things that are dangerous, things you you better be careful when you say them. Number one, you better be careful when you say I am. Am never. When those words come across your lips, beloved, you have set yourself up for trouble on every hand's turn. When you begin to say, I will never, you fill in the blank. Whatever comes after that, you've set yourself up for some trials, some tests, and some tribulations along the way. Man, I remember before I had young'uns, I would say, man, I will never let my kids talk to me like that. I will never have my kids behaving like that i will never allow my kids to do that how many y'all ever said that pre-kids in your life beloved i learned real quickly not to say that in my life anytime you say i will never i remember one thing i I said i I will never be a preacher in my life beloved don't ever let those words cross your lips you never know what god will do dangerous statement be careful when you say i'll never i'm never Another dangerous statement if I were you man that's a that's a dangerous statement when you begin to say, if I were you, man, and then start to speak into somebody's life, like you have the understanding of everything they've ever gone through, everything they're thinking, and every place they are. When you begin to say, if I were you, man alive, you set yourself up for trouble. I've heard people say, well, now if I were you, I'd just march right back in there and I'd quit that job. I mean, hey, I would. I, hey, if I were you, I wouldn't put up with that for one more second. I wouldn't stand for that. There's a real problem. You're not me, beloved, and, and I'm not you. And we begin to say, if I were you, beloved, that's fraught with danger from the beginning. How about this third one? I I, I wish blank. Man, you need to be careful when you begin to say, I I, I just wish. Now, it's not always bad to have wishes and hopes and dreams, but you need to be careful. The old saying is, you just might get what you desire. When you wish for something, be careful. It just might come true. People say, I wish I lived anywhere but here. Be careful. God just might move you someplace. You're going to be there going, boy, I wish. I was right back at that place where I left so many years ago. When you begin to say, I wish. I've heard people say this, and I've even thought it in my own mind, and you might have too. I, I just wish I'd never been born. No, you don't. Man, when you begin to say those things, be careful. When you begin to say that, it's fraught with danger. One of the things that's just good Southern and a good redneck saying that we all need to be careful of. I've never seen much good happen after somebody utters these two words, watch this. I mean, when somebody utters those two words, Beloved, they have set their self up for problems. I remember one time I was on the front deck of our A-frame and I said to somebody, Hey, watch this, as I was standing on the top rail and jumped off of it to the bottom. I was young and invincible. I remember saying, Hey, watch this. I wish I'd never said that ever. I wish I could go back to that day and put those words right back in my mouth. You set yourself up for trouble when you say, Hey, watch this. Another thing is, whenever I feel like it, I will blank. Man, whenever I feel like it. Man, when it's good for me. Whenever I feel like it. I told my parents one time, they asked me my ETA when I was going to be home that evening. I thought I would try the boundaries a little bit. And I told them, I said, well, you know what? I think I'll just be home whenever I feel like it. I I told them that. How many of y'all think that went over good? I told my mother, I said, hey, you'll know I'm home when you look out the window and you see my car in the driveway. I would never suggest. And you say that to your mom or dad, it doesn't come out very good. And man, when we begin to do things, just whenever I feel like it, tell your boss that you're report to work whenever you feel like it and see how that goes over. Lastly and sixthly, here's a dangerous thing to say. You know, I don't need fill in the blank. I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need this. I don't need your help. I don't need anybody. There's a famous saying around our house. I got this. How many of y'all ever said that? I got this, man. Hey, don't worry about it. I got this. I don't need any help. I don't need any input. I don't need any insight. I don't need anything. Most times, man alive, I'm telling you, when I say I got this, I come to find out, no, I don't. And folks, we do need. There are some things we just need in life. There are some things we just must have in life. And when we begin to say, I don't need, beloved. We've betrayed ourselves, for we really do need. In the physical realm, they tell us, and it's been well said, despite our art, despite our education, despite our science, despite our sophistication, it's been well said that we owe our very existence to the fact that this planet we live on has a six-inch layer of topsoil, and ever now and again, it rains. Beloved, without those things, we wouldn't even exist. We need those things so that we might even draw breath. Man alive, the American spirit itself, beloved, is one of independence, individualism, and self-reliance. And all those things are good to a degree. But they're dangerous when we decide we need no one, we need nothing else in our lives, and we can do everything that we need to do all on our own without any help from anybody, anywhere any time. And oh, in the spiritual realm, our dependence is more glaring. Today we rest and depend on one thing, beloved, and one thing only, and that is the grace of an almighty God. Paul here begins to speak of his accolades, all that he's accomplished, his abilities. He begins to speak of his experience. In the first three or four verses of chapter 12, he talks about being called up into the third heaven and seeing things that, man, he's not even permitted to speak about. He talks about being in the presence of the Lord in such a way that none of his readers and even us today would understand if he were to try to explain it to us and man here were some folks talking about how envious they were and the things that were in his life they belittled him and berated him for he's talking about his understandings of spiritual things and yet he turns that all back on himself and he points out how easy it would be for him to begin to exalt himself above measure He says, man, it would be easy for me to begin to think more highly of myself than I ought. Then he mentions what we call a thorn in the flesh. And beloved, there's much debate over this. There's, much, uh, there's people smarter than I that have worked out exactly what this thorn is. I'll give you a couple of options. Some say it's a physical ailment. Some say it's blindness that he fought or the inability to see. And man, if that's true, with every passing day, I've got a thorn in the flesh. I can see less today than I could yesterday. I need all the help I can get. Some people say it's opposition that he faced to his ministry from people everywhere. Most of the, the books that he wrote in the New Testament talk about the opposition that exists yea, even in the house of the Lord in, in the book of Acts when we see him on his missionary journeys we understand that he faced great opposition everywhere he went and some people speculate that that opposition to the gospel was his thorn in the flesh some people speculate that it was a spiritual agent, something that was in the spirit realm always there weighing on him, now we speculate about those things but if we look at this passage there are some things that we know about this thorn in the flesh And we'd do better today to concentrate on the things that we know about what it was than the things we think that it might be. We know this. First of all, he says it was a messenger of Satan. What a a thing to call this thorn in the flesh. It was from his realm. It was from his place of existence. It says clearly to us that it was sent. It was given to him on purpose. It was an intentional thing. It wasn't a happenstance in his life. This was something that was given to him intentionally, ultimately for his good. We see that it was sent to buffet him. I love that word in the King James. It means this constantly aggravate or to remind me all the time at every hand's turn. We also know that it was personal. I believe the reason that we can't arrive at what it was is because it was highly personal to Paul. I believe he understood exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. And I can tell you that we all have those things today. God gives us all those things so that we might be careful not to exalt ourselves or think more highly of ourselves than we ought and we see that Paul understood clearly what this thorn in the flesh was man we might not know exactly what the thorn was but beloved what I want to focus on today is we do know why it was there we do know why this thorn was there it was there for one reason, for one purpose only. It was aimed not at independence, but it was aimed at dependence. And dependence on one thing alone, beloved the grace of an almighty God. I put it this way in the Western North Carolina lack of vernacular God did not want him to get too big for his britches. How many of y'all ever heard that? Man, my granny used to say that to me. Son, you're getting a little bit too big for your britches. And I knew what that meant. If I didn't straighten up, I was going to cut me a switch in a minute. And she was going to make sure I didn't exalt myself more highly than I ought. Son, you're getting too big. And Paul was saying, man, it was there in my life so that I might learn to depend upon God's grace. He makes this tantamount statement in verse 9. He says, the Lord said to his reply to take this thing from him three times. He said, son, my grace is sufficient for you. it is in my strength it is my strength that's made perfect in your weakness and beloved as true as this statement was for paul it's true for us today what a truth that his grace is sufficient for us that it when we're our weakest that he is the most strong what a truth we should grasp on today. Man, I would ask you this. How many of y'all are today in the house are glad for the grace of an almighty God in your life? How many of y'all are glad for that? Let me tell you, it's grace that you're setting here today. Everything that you are, everything that you have, Paul said on another occasion, man, it's the grace of God that has made me what I am today. It's by his grace. It's by his mercy. Everything we have, everything we are, we attribute to the grace of God. Everything we ever hope to be must come from his good gracious right hand and i am glad today for his grace today every trial every test every tribulation listen to this serves in our lives today to make us dependent upon the grace of god more fully i want to examine here with you today four thoughts about this grace just from this Short verse, verse 9, particularly, and a little verse 10. Four thoughts about this grace on which we completely depend today. Number one, I want you to see the source of grace on which we depend. I want you to see the source of grace on which we depend. He says, first of all, my grace. Isn't that what he said? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's my grace that I'm talking about. It's not your grace. It's not his grace or hers grace. It's not the church's grace. Man, it's the, it's the grace of God on which we depend today. Man, when I was in high school, I, I remember in the 11th grade, I, I caught senioritis before I was ever a senior, man. I was, I was done with it, beloved. I could have walked on out and got me a job. I was smarter than everybody there and, and knew what was going on in life. I didn't need no education, man. I, I was tired of wasting time in school. So, man, I took it upon myself to to take a day off every now and then. I mean, uh, I I decided maybe school didn't demand my presence there. I thought, well, I'll I'll take a little day off every now and then. Well, a day off every now and then turned into a day off after a day off every now and then. I mean, sometimes you need two days in a row or or three days in a row. Well, needless to say, the, the Word of God is true. It says, be sure that your sins will find you out, beloved. And it wasn't very long on that path before I was found out. The people that I thought I was smarter than proved that they were a whole lot smarter than me, and it wasn't very long till I found myself in the principal's office at A.C. Reynolds High School, sitting there with my mom and my dad and the guidance counselor discussing my future as a student. I, how much did I say in that discussion? Absolutely nothing, beloved. They were discussing my future, uh, some of them as an individual on this planet, and some of them as a future student at A.C. Reynolds High School. And then we begin to, I began to hear a whole lot of options, and I began to hear uh, hear a whole lot of things, and as they they went along, I I began to realize this fact that that my fate was no longer in my hands. My fate was squarely in their hands in this moment, and then I began to examine who's in the room. I thought, well, my mom and dad, they might be mad at me right now, but they love me, and they're certainly not going to kill me. They may ground me for the next 30 years. I don't know, uh, but they won't kill me. I'll be all right, and they'll still love me. I thought about the principal. I thought, man, he's got bigger fish to fry than this little kid. It'll be all right. And the more I began to eliminate people, it became very clear to me that my hands, my fate rested in the hands of an 11th grade English teacher. And I'm going to tell you, this little English teacher's reputation wasn't very good. And my experience in her classroom had borne that out. Beloved, she was uh, uh, committed to her call to teach us English and to teach it in the very best way possible. We had vocabulary test after vocabulary test. She was committed to the procedure and, man, to the letter of the law. She didn't let you by with anything, beloved. You say, what are you saying? Well, let me just explain it to you. She was mean. How many of y'all ever had just a, a mean teacher in your life? That's what she was. And I thought, holy smoke, Stace, what have you done? You've placed your entire future in the hands of a mean old 11th grade English teacher. I sat in that seat thought, man, she's got the axe in her hand. She's been waiting for this day. They're going to ask her what she thinks. And, beloved, she's going to kill me right here in this principal's office. Man, I prayed. I began to pray like I never had. God, if you give me one chance, I'll make good on it. Man, what I thought was true was true. Inevitably, they all had an opinion, but they looked at her and they said, ma'am, what do you want to do? He's your student. He's in your classroom. And there was a few moments of silence for drama, I'm sure, on her behalf. She didn't say what I thought she'd say. She said, you know what? I'll work with him." You know what? I'll help him. I'll do all I can to help him make up all that he can in the realm of possibility. Now, he's going to have to do it. But I'm more than willing to open the door and give him an opportunity to walk through it. You see, the grace I needed in that moment was not from my mom, and it wasn't from my dad. It wasn't even from the high school principal. The grace that I needed in that moment came from one person. And one person alone, that 11th grade English teacher. And I'm going to tell you the grace that we need in our lives today. Folks, the grace that I needed so many years ago. Folks, the grace that I need with every passing moment, of every passing hour, of every passing day. Folks, the grace that I need to carry me through all eternity is not going to come from my mama. It's not going to come from my dad. It's not going to come from my friends. It's not going to come from my family. It isn't going to come from the person I work for. It isn't even going to come from the church that I'm so proud to pastor and the people that I love so deeply that we worship together with. Folks, the grace that we need, the source of our grace today, lies in one place and one place only. It lies in the hands of God Himself. And Paul said, listen, he told me this. It's my grace, son, that'll be sufficient for you. It's my grace that you need today. Church, it's his grace that's sufficient in our life. It's his grace that we all need. It's his grace. It's the only grace that will do. The source of our grace, the grace that we depend on today, is God himself. I love the old hymn, don't you? Grace, grace. And then it says what? God's grace 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 that is greater than all of our sin today when you feel a little independent man there's going to trial come along in your life when you feel like you've got it there's going to be a test that comes along in your life and you're going to find yourself sitting in the same room you've sat in many times before saying father i depend completely on your grace And your grace alone in this moment. Second thought that I want you to look at. Not only the source of the grace on which we depend, I want you to see the sufficiency of the grace on which we depend. He says, now my grace is sufficient. I love that word. He says, my grace is sufficient. You know what the word sufficient means? It means absolutely enough. That's what it means. It means absolutely enough above and beyond everything that you'll ever need. That's what sufficiency means. It means completely satisfying and absolutely full, man. I was privileged to, uh, officiate a little wedding this past weekend. Uh, we had a rehearsal dinner, man, had a great wedding yesterday. Uh, the Lord held the rain off for us by his grace. It was so good. It was an outdoor wedding in a beautiful place. I just loved it. Part of my family. And it's always a joy, uh, to be involved in some occasion, just like that. But at, and one of the, my favorite things about any wedding, anywhere, is the rehearsal dinner and the reception. Why? Because, man, you get to eat, beloved. I'm talking about eat on a scale you've never seen in your life. We went into the rehearsal dinner that Friday night. The the guy that had cooked, the chef stood up, and he began to describe for us the menu that he had laid back. He said, man, I usually order pork chops that are three or four ounces piece." And he said, I made a mistake this time, or they made a mistake pulling at one of the boxes, one of the two to send to me at the meat house. He said, they didn't send me three or four ounce pork chops He said, They sent me three quarter inch thick pork chops. How many of y'all can say, Glory to God, His grace abounds on every hand? I was back there worshiping and thanking Him for that mistake of grace that was coming to my behalf in just a few minutes. Man, He began to uh, tell how He cooked those things. He said, Man, I cooked them for hours. I've got them basting in a brown onion gravy. Alongside them, I've even got pot roast, if that's not enough for you. I've got mashed potatoes. I've got yeast rolls. Then He said, I got salad. I didn't even hear that. I mean, hey, I didn't even hear him say he had salad. I got all the sweet iced tea you want. He said, man, we got cheesecake. We got two kinds. We got regular New York style cheesecake. Then he said, we got blueberry cheesecake with walnuts on the top of it. I was back there thinking, glory to God, let me get up and pray so we can get at this stuff right now. I mean, here we go. Man alive! We prayed and I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate. I went back and I went back and I went back and I went back. There was this dear lady coming around just serving me. When she saw that I'd eaten all the main course I could, she said, "Would you like a piece of cheesecake?" And I said, "Yes, ma'am. I surely would." And she brought me one back there. I sat there and ate that thing, and every bite I took, uh, the more miserable I got. Have you ever eaten that much, man? I had eaten myself into absolute oblivion sitting there, and I was eating that cheesecake eating it and she breezed by and she said well that's the New York style you can't leave preacher without eating one of the blueberry with the the walnuts on the top of it she said would you like me to bring you a piece of that and for the first time in my memory I told somebody I did not want another piece of cheesecake and absolutely meant it I mean okay I'd lied about it before but I meant it on Friday night I couldn't eat it if I wanted to man I was full I was over full I was beyond satisfied. Everything that I had eaten was more than sufficient to satisfy that hunger and even that wanton desire and, yes, that, that sin even of gluttony that I was practicing in those moments. And Lord, man, I'm telling you, such is the grace of God in your life. It doesn't matter what your hunger is. It doesn't matter what your level of need is. Today, you might be saying, Pastor, you don't understand You don't understand the depth and the height and the breadth of the trials that I'm facing in these moments. You don't understand what's going on in my mind and in my spirit and in this physical world that I face every day. You have no idea the depth of it. Well, I'm telling you, you're right. I don't understand. But there is one in heaven who does understand and he has enough grace in his storehouse to meet your need, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. He said, son, my grace will be sufficient for you in these moments of trials, in these moments of testing, when you begin to think more highly of yourself than you Be sure that my grace is enough. I wrote this down. His grace will never disappoint us. His grace will never come up short in our lives. His grace will never need an assist from anything else. His grace will never leave you wanting. His grace will never leave you unfilled. His grace is sufficient for you today, my friends. I want you to note that it's grace that you need and sufficiency and not legalism. It's grace that you need and not physical stamina. It's grace that you need today and not education. It's grace and not spiritual giftedness, it's grace. And not material possessions, it's grace. And not a good standing in the church and community. Listen, it's His grace that will always be sufficient for the need of every hour in your life. Man, we depend upon this grace of God. I think of the praise song that I love so much, Matt Marr. He sings what? Your grace is enough. And that's what the Lord was saying to Paul, and that's what he's saying to you today. My grace, son. My my grace, daughter. I, I don't care what you're going through. My grace is going to be sufficient to meet the need of the hour in your life. Thirdly, and I'm hurrying. Not only the source and the sufficiency of this grace we depend upon, I want you to see the shining of this grace on which we depend. His grace shines brightest the Word tells us against the backdrop of our weakness and struggle. He says in the latter part of his statement, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. That would have been a bold statement. But he began to, He went on to say, hey, listen, my strength is made perfect. That means complete. That means in every aspect fulfilled. And it means this, it shines and shows up the most against the backdrop of, of your weakness in your life. And this grace that we depend upon, beloved, shines its brightest in that moment of trial and weakness. Here's the central proposition of this little point. It says this, it is in that place of our inadequacy, beloved. It's in that place of the test and trial. It's in that place where we've been pressed perhaps beyond the end of ourselves that the power of His grace in our lives shines the brightest. Man, He is using those tests and those trials. He's using those things in your life today so that His grace might show up brilliantly in and through you. I stood just in the last two days with five different people, five different families, all in different circumstances, ranging from the loss of a loved one to the the press of a wedding and giving away a daughter. And in each case, man, the grace of God was shining. I approached one person uh, last night after the wedding. I I asked one of my relatives, I said, How did you give that daughter away? I mean, I've got one that's 19, and the law of averages tells me that it's not going to be too much longer. Before she's going to decide that, man, this is the person I want to spend my life with. So I was seeking a little wisdom. I said, brother, tell me, give me some insight on how you did that that well, man. How you, how you made it through all that. How did, you, how did you give that daughter away? And he made this statement to me. He said, son, it was just nothing less than the grace of an almighty God. It was all him. And the grace of God was shining in that life moment. I stood with a person with a prolonged illness. I said, man, how are you doing it? How are you making it? And he said, let me tell you, it's the prayers of God's people and the grace of his good right hand that has brought me this far, preacher, and it's his grace that's going to carry me on through every minute of this thing that I'm going through in my life. I stood also with a person facing next week, just this week, the start of chemo, first chemo treatment on Tuesday, radiation ahead as well, a big surgery behind. You'd think he'd been down. You'd think he'd have been beaten. But, man, he was laughing and joking. And he said, let me just tell you something. The grace of God, stays. the grace of God, Pastor, has been with me on every hand's turn. And I trust him this coming week because his grace is going to be there with me. And I'm ready for whatever it is he has for me I sat with a couple yesterday that was struggling had some unanswered questions in their lives and man what a privilege it was to share with them and to hear from them that what they were trusting in was God and his grace they said the only answer that we have today pastor is the grace of an almighty God that we're depending on to answer these things in our life and in our midst, and His grace was shining. I stood uh, beside a bedside with a family that had lost a loved one, and man, we were talking about that loved one, And, and his daughter said this, Man, the change that the grace of God made in his life so many years ago was so evident that you couldn't mistake it, Pastor. And with a smile on her face, she said, By His grace, I know where He is today, and I know that I'll see Him again. Man, it's in that moment of testing and trial that the grace of God begins to shine in your life like it never could in any other circumstance. And we depend upon that grace today. When people say to us, how are you doing it, man? How are you doing it, sister? We need to reply to them, oh, it's only by the grace of an almighty God that we're still standing, still moving, still joyful, and still have hope. We depend upon that shining grace of God, fourthly. I want you to see also the sheltering grace on which we depend. I love the latter part of that verse. He begins to describe it, Paul does. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. And then he makes a powerful statement. He says, so that the power of Christ may just rest upon me. And you see, this grace of God that we depend upon gives rise to the power of God in our life that becomes just a sheltering cover on us. The wording there indicates that His power will rest on us, literally like a tent, you could translate it, over me because of His grace. I spent some time in, in upstate Ohio at the Southern Baptist Convention with my dear wife. We just had a great time. As we drove up through Kentucky, the Cumberland Gap, what a beautiful place that was. And we got on through Lexington there, horse country, headed on up through Cincinnati. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been that way, when you come out the backside of Cincinnati, the topography changes greatly. It begins to look like what you think you'd see in Kansas and Indiana and Nebraska and out there. It just becomes field after field after field. And as I was driving through there on that bright, sunshiny day, all I could think of was this. If I were a tornado... I think this is the perfect place to happen right here. I mean, that's all I can think of. Man, if I were a tornado, this would be home to me, beloved. I mean, nothing in your way, nothing to stop. And man, that thought was in my mind as, uh, the whole time I was up there. And I thought, well, it's bright and sunshiny. We don't have to worry about that. And if you watch the weather, any of this past week, we didn't get to Columbus any more than storm after, storm after storm after storm. And I'm not talking about little storm. I'm talking about severe storm after severe storm after severe, storm after severe storm it was the one time in my life I stayed in a hotel and the first question I asked was not what time does the breakfast buffet start the first question I asked is what do I do if a tornado warning comes out where do I go I wanted to know where the shelter was beloved man in our lives when trials and tests are on the horizon it's good to know where your shelter is and Paul says man I'm thankful for his grace for what that brings about in my life is, is his great power which begins to rest on me just like a tent and protect me from every onslaught of the enemy. How many of y'all are glad today? How many of y'all have ever experienced this sheltering grace? of an almighty God in your life in a time when you were vulnerable and without it you'd have just been done for. But there was the grace of God that dispensed the power of God in your life and He covered you just like a tent against any any assault on the horizon and any storm that might come your way. And man, today when we say we depend upon the grace of God, beloved, we need to understand that we depend upon that sheltering grace. It gives rise to His power in my life. And I'm thankful today to depend upon such a grace as that. The source of it is God. The sufficiency of it. There's nothing that it can't meet. The shining of it. Man, people get to see the grace of God through these tests and trials and how He manifests it in my life. The sheltering of it. I'm thankful today. That I depend upon such a grace as that. In conclusion, I want to point you to verse 10. Paul says this, man. Hey, hallelujah. If that's the truth in my life, then bring it on. That's what he says. He says, if that's the truth in my life, if if that kind of grace is is what I depend upon, if that kind of power of God is what grace is going to come into my life through these trials and tests and tribulation, if that's what's going to happen when these things come, He just says essentially, pour it on Lord Jesus. If that kind of test and that trial is going to yield these results in my life, bring it on. If it's going to make me depend upon you all the more, then bring it on. Bring on that trouble. Bring on that trial. Bring on that test if it brings me more of His powerful grace in my life. Trial and test, beloved, they're purposeful. They make us be careful not to exalt ourselves more highly than we ought. Paul said it twice. He says, man, i got to be careful. I need something to make sure that I don't, I, I'm not exalted too much in my own mind or exalted too much in the minds of others. I need something in my life. I'm thankful for that trial and that test, man. Trials and tests serve to make us not depend upon ourselves but make us depend more every day on the grace and the mercy of an almighty God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. Just when you think you got a handle, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to come a test. Just when you say, you know what, God, I got this. I got this. Go on to somebody else that needs your help. I, I got this. Just when you say that, Just when the thought crosses your mind, you rest assured that there's going to come a test. There's going to come a trial. And what you're going to say in your life is, Oh, Father, I need your grace once again. Just in this moment, would you let this be the prayer of your heart? As our instrumentalists come and just cover us with a bit of praise, would you just let this be the prayer of your heart? Father, I depend upon your grace and your grace alone today. I depend upon you, Lord. Everything else is going to be short. I depend upon your grace today. How many of y'all today have a trial, a test, something that you're facing? Stephen begins to cover us. That you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need the grace of an almighty God in this moment. I need it. Would you pray for me to help me depend squarely and completely? I see those hands. Anybody else? Squarely and completely. Not on the church. Although the church is a great thing, let me tell you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, what a resource. Man, I can tell you in times of trial and tribulation in my life, I am so thankful for the body of Christ. But ultimately, it's the grace of God. I work in and through them that we need. Not so much on my education. Let me tell you, I'm an education person. I'm hoping to start back and and get a little more myself. I don't believe you can ever expose yourself to challenge and change and learning in your life that it doesn't help you, but you need to expose yourself to it, trusting in the grace of an almighty God to use it in your life for His glory and for your good. How many of y'all have a trial, a test, and and would join these hands and say, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, that I just trust in, in His grace and His mercy alone? Praise be unto God. That's a great prayer because He says to you today what He said to the Apostle Paul. Son, daughter, my grace is sufficient. Paul said, I prayed three times He'd take it away. But he answered me, my grace is sufficient in your life. It's in that weakness that I'm going to show myself the clearest, the mightiest, and the strongest. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.